Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Dan. I'm on the leadership team here at, at Trailhead Church, and uh, it's good to, good to see all of you, and I hope you had a good Thanksgiving holiday and uh, had uh, plenty to eat and had some good time uh, with family. Um, just a quick announcement uh, before we, we jump in um, this morning. Um, on December 16th, we're going to be having a special offering. Um, we'll be sending out a note on the city um, this week to give you some more information on uh, what that's about, um, so be looking for that that note um, on the city, more information uh, to come. So last week, um, if you were able to hear Steve's sermon, uh, we talked about what it means to be an outsider as we looked at this the same passage. Steve talked about our longing to belong, our longing to um, be on the inside, inside of, of the group, um, inside of something to belong to. Um, this week, we're going to talk about being an insider and how our sinful hearts can distort that and distort God's intention for our lives. So I want to start by talking about boundaries this morning, boundaries like fences um, and walls, that uh, we can use fences, we can use walls to um, keep things in. If we have a, have a pet, we have a dog that we want to make sure doesn't, uh, doesn't take off and, and run away when we let it out in the backyard, we may put a, have a fence up to keep something in, keep that pet in. And we can also have fences to keep things out. We can have fences um, that define what is ours, what is our property, what belongs to us, and prevent others from coming in unless we invite them, unless we open the gate. Um, Maybe we don't want them to be able to see what we're doing. Maybe it's a privacy fence and we want to maintain our privacy. Um, We don't want them to see our stuff or... um, to be able to, to peek in our windows. And so as I was thinking through this, I was thinking a few uh, historical fences that, uh, that you might be familiar with. Um, so the first one, uh, some of you may remember this, 
Uh, this is an image of the Berlin Wall, which came down in uh, 1989. And uh, it was built to separate East and West Berlin. This next slide, probably recognize this. This is the, uh, the Great Wall of China. This one's actually uh, quite, quite impressive, um, quite a feat of uh, architecture, and uh, so that you can actually see this from space, apparently. Now, in addition to building physical walls like this, um, we can also build walls uh, relationally and walls that are invisible. Um, part of our sinful nature is that we're good at building walls. We're good at shutting people out. Um, we're good at building barriers. Even though we can't see these, um, we build them and we see people as different from us. We see people as others. I don't know if any of you were, were Losties um, watching the TV show Lost, but talked about the others was how they defined the, the other group that wasn't a part of, of their group. Um, so what are some ways that, that we do this? Um, so I wanted to show one here. Yeah, you might know this one. So this one uh, I like to have a little bit of fun with, with um, some folks here in the church that are, that are Cubs fans. I myself am a Cardinals fan, and I like to poke fun um, with this one and, and have a good time um, with this and uh, try to make people a little bit uncomfortable, but not too bad, hopefully. Um, or this next one here. This, uh, can't really see maybe the detail at first, but uh, so the blue is people that say pop, the yellow is those that say soda, and the red is those that say Coke when talking about uh, soft drinks. And there's actually a website that's dedicated to this, and uh, that's where I got the, the website from, something like popversussoda.com or something like that. Um, so anyway... So we, we have these things that separate us, and we may make fun. People that move to this area from maybe one of the blue areas um, will laugh at us for saying soda, and we laugh at them for saying pop. Um, but those are just some fun, uh, fun examples for how we might build walls, how we might uh, cause others to be somewhat separate um, from us. Now, part of this in looking at how we build walls that maybe aren't so fun, how we build walls that um, maybe we want to selfishly protect our community, maybe we want to protect our personal preferences, maybe our music styles, um, even our clothing styles, or how we, we do church, maybe we want to protect that, um, and we build these imaginary walls. Um, we think that Maybe somehow we're, we're better than those that aren't part of our community. We're better than those that are outside of what we like and what we do. Um, the ancient Greeks were a, a great example of this, um, even in the time that, that Paul was writing this letter to us, uh, to the church in, in Ephesus. Um, the Greeks were very, the ancient Greeks were very proud of their, their culture. They were very proud of even their language, um, and the way that they lived life. And the Greek statesman Cicero wrote, he said, As Greeks say, all men are divided into two classes, Greeks and barbarians. And so this is a great example of how sin can distort 
Now, sin, in this case, pride, creates a barrier. Um, you see that the, the root of all of our problems, the root of all of our division, of all of our conflict, um, all of our troubles, the root of that is, is sin. It's sin. You see, the Bible tells us that God, when he created uh, the earth, when he created Adam and Eve, he created everything and he said that it was, it was good. He was pleased in what he had created. And then when Adam and Eve sinned, when they disobeyed God by eating of the fruit, eating of the tree that he had forbid, that was rebellion um, against a holy God. And it caused a brokenness in all of our relationships. It introduced sin into a perfect creation that was good. And it broke four relationships for us. The first relationship that it broke was our relationship with God. God was holy, God is holy, and we're not. And God cannot ignore our sin, he can't overlook it. God is perfectly holy, and he's perfectly just. So our sin, Adam and Eve's sin, broke our relationship with God. At the same time, it broke our relationship with ourselves. Um, we know this is like as we may feel turmoil or conflict with our identity, with who we are, um, as we try to resolve things, as we look at ourselves, how we view ourselves, and there's conflict. We wrestle with that. We struggle with that. It also breaks our relationship with others and how we relate to other people and how we interact with other people. Um, we are selfish, and we see others as selfish, and that causes conflict. We see others as different, and our sin breaks our relationship with them. And sin also breaks our relationship with, with the rest of creation. We can see that, um, that our world's a mess. Um, we have disease, and we have sickness, and we have disasters. And it shows that, that everything is broken. Everything around us is broken, and it's because of sin. So our greatest problem with sin, and first and foremost, our broken relationship with God. And Jesus was the solution to that problem. If you look with me again, Ephesians 2, we're going to look at verses 13 through 16. And this is on page 977. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So our passage tells us that, that Jesus, when he died for us, when he paid the price for our sin, when he satisfied God's 
perfect justice. He satisfied God's wrath. He reconciled us to God. And so that means we now can have peace with God. And that's a reality. If we're believers, if we have put our faith, if we have put our trust in Christ, we have peace with God. God no longer holds our sin against us because Christ has paid the price for our sin. And so we have grace and we can have forgiveness for our sin. And Jesus also died to give us peace with others, to give us peace with those those around us. He made peace between us and God, between Jews and Gentiles, and between Gentiles and Gentiles, just like the Greeks that we I spoke about just a few minutes ago that saw everyone else as barbarians. Um, and Gentile just being another word for um, basically not a Jew. Um, if you haven't heard that term before. So this may go without, without saying. Um, this, uh, you may be familiar with this, of course, but I wanted to go ahead and define two terms just so that we can gain some focus and, and gain some clarity uh, this morning. I wanted to define the terms of peace and reconciliation. So Merriam-Webster defines peace as this very simply. It says harmony and personal relations. And reconcile is defined as this, to restore to friendship or harmony. So our passage tells us that, that Jesus is our peace and he has reconciled us, that he has restored our friendship with God and with others. He's reestablished harmony. So positionally, we are reconciled to God. If we put our faith in Christ, we have access to God. We are brought near because of Jesus Christ. Our foundational barrier, therefore, our barrier of sin, our rebellion against God, that barrier has been destroyed. But it says, our passage says that Jesus tore down, broke that wall of hostility, and our relationship with God has been reconciled. And it doesn't stop there. Christ died also to reconcile us with one another. See, sin is the root of all conflict, is why we are envious, is why we fight, and is why we hate. Now here at Trailhead, we believe that God exists in three persons. One God, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we call this the Trinity. Um, and there is perfect harmony in the Trinity. Perfect unity. And that's kind of mind-blowing to think about that. that. Can you imagine having perfect unity with, with someone else? No conflict no strife, no tension, that there is a perfect harmony in the Trinity. Why, why is that? Why, how is that possible? How can there be a perfect harmony in the Trinity? It's because there's no sin. It's because God is perfectly holy. And so there's no sin, there's no conflict, there's no selfishness, there's no envy, there's no hate. 
And we just don't have a, a good category for that. We don't, it's hard for us uh, to understand that. But God is perfectly holy, and holiness equals harmony. And unfortunately, we don't get to enjoy that kind of, of harmony uh, with each other, at least not yet. Um, unity in the church is unfortunately not yet uh, fully realized. Um, we live in an already not yet tension where we get glimpses of this. We get glimpses where people are selfless and sacrifice for others where we love each other well. We're able to get glimpses of that, but then we also live in a broken world and we're broken people and we're sinful. We're able to imitate God and his grace, um, but not completely. But know this, that, that unity is God's desire for his people. Unity is what God wants for us, wants for us as believers, wants for, for all people. Um, so I want you to turn with me, flip to the, the left, to John chapter 17. This is on page 903 in the, the Black Bibles in front of you. We look at John chapter 17, verses 21 through 23. Let's let's start with verse 20, actually. This is Jesus praying. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also, also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. So this is Jesus' prayer for us. And he prays, and he talks about that perfect harmony in the Trinity, how Jesus had perfect harmony with the Father in the Spirit. And it's Jesus praying that he wants that for us, and he wants that to be perfect. He wants that unity with the church to be perfect. So what does that, what does that mean for us? What does that look like? In our passage in Ephesians, we're told that, that we're reconciled to one body. That means all believers... Anyone that puts their faith in Christ is part of the same body. And the body is is diverse. There are no longer barriers because of race. There are no longer barriers because of where you live. There are no longer barriers because of gender. We're all part of the same body. We're part of the same family. So that means we have brothers and we have sisters across the globe. There are believers all over. There are believers in China. There are believers in Africa, South America, and we're all part of the same body. Even though we can't even speak the same language, we're part of the same body. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So again, what does unity look like? The church is diverse. The church is not. God's intention is that it not be an affinity group. Our sinful temptation can be that we want people um, around us that are like us, that maybe, sinfully, we would say people that are the same race, people that are the same age, that have the same likes and dislikes that we do. But that's not God's plan. That's not God's church. God's church is diverse. His plan is to create a new people, one new body that is reconciled to each other and reconciled to him. And that goes across all barriers, meaning we're no longer strangers. So if believers, because God has reconciled us to him, himself, Jesus has reconciled us to God, if there are no distinctions between God and us, if God does not have any distinctions based on race, gender, preferences, um, neither should we have distinctions between ourselves. Neither should we allow those things to be barriers um, for us as part of his body. Next, I want to remind us that we're saved by grace. Why is it that we're able to be part of this body? Why is it that we're able to have access to God? It's because we're saved by grace. In our passage from a couple weeks ago, we can see in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's by grace that we're saved. It's nothing that we can do. It's nothing that we can earn. It's nothing that we can accomplish on our own. It's only because of grace that we are saved. And it says so that no one can boast. So we can't say, I did it, or I'm pleasing to God because I did X, Y, and Z. And, and you're not, because you're not doing this. We can't say that. It's not our works that earn our salvation. It's because God has loved us and because God has shown us grace. So how as a church do we live this out? How do we avoid alienating others? How do we avoid building a barrier between others Maybe others that have sins that are different than ours. Maybe their sin is one that we don't wrestle with, that we don't think is a, is a problem for us. Because believers were called to, to hate sin, but not hate the sinner. And we can easily get that confused. You see, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness that leads us to change. It's not our repentance that then gets us God's kindness. It's not because that we repent that we earn God's favor. It's because God has already shown us favor. He's already shown us love. He's already shown us kindness. 
And when we get that, then we repent. And it should be the same for us in the church. Showing others kindness, showing others love. And praying that that would lead us to repentance as well. It's our faith in Christ that makes us presentable before God. It's not our track record of abstinence from sin. Now, I want to take a moment to say that, um, unfortunately, the church has hurt some of you in, this, in the room. Maybe you felt shame and guilt because of your sin. Maybe the church has responded by sharing truth with you, by sharing Scripture and not doing it in a loving way, not doing it in a gracious way. And I just want to say that I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've had to experience that. See, Christ has called us to be ministers of reconciliation. Christ has called us to imitate how he has loved us and how he has shown us kindness. And maybe you've been treated as an alien rather than treating someone that is being reconciled to God. And I'm sorry that, that you've had to experience that, and I just want to say I hope, I pray that the family here at Trailhead will not do that and will not treat you um, in that way. I hope that we respond differently. So this morning I wanted to, to touch on just a few, uh, a couple sensitive subjects, a couple that are sometimes difficult to talk about, or at least we, we may think that they're difficult to talk about. Maybe a reality that it's just hard. It's hard to address. It's hard to share. It's hard to not feel um, like an alien or like an outsider, potentially. The first issue being that of uh, pornography and the Internet and what we look at, what we take in on the Internet. According to the Christian website, triplexchurch.com, which, which is a website designed to, um, which is an anti-porn website, it's designed to help people that are struggling with addiction. According to, to this website, it says 43% of all Internet users view pornography. 43%. That's almost half Of those 43%, two in three of those viewers are men. And I think we've talked about that. I know we've talked about that here at Trailhead. I know that we have a, a culture of men that um, we try to talk about that. We try to show each other grace and encourage one another towards holiness. Two in three of those viewers are men, and one in three of those viewers are women. I think the church sometimes doesn't talk about that. That maybe we've identified it as a, as a guy thing, that guys struggle with this, and that's not true. That's not true. And this means that the chances are that there are several here in the room that, that maybe you're, you're battling with this. Maybe you're struggling with this. You might be carrying some guilt, and you might be carrying some shame. 
um, that you're afraid to talk about. You're afraid to share that with anyone. And I want you to know this morning that this is a safe place for you. This is a safe place to talk about it. This is a safe place where you can share that with those in community. Um, If you're not in a community group, I want to encourage you to consider that and to join one and to be able to talk about your struggles, to be able to talk about sin. The other one is that the other issue I want to talk about this morning or the other struggle is that of same-sex attraction. What do you, what do we, how do you process that? We want you to know that um, we understand that you may be feeling confused. You may be feeling ashamed of that. Um, First, I want you to know that being tempted isn't sin. Being tempted with those thoughts is not a sin. And secondly, if you have given in to that temptation, um, we want you to know that there's grace for you. We want you to know that we're all in need of God's grace and that he freely gives it to us. This is a safe place for you to talk about those thoughts and to talk about those temptations. So next I want to talk about our passage and how it references that we're also a dwelling place of God, that we're also the temple. And what does that mean? What does that mean to be the temple? Um, As believers, we're being built together as a dwelling place for God. So what does this mean? Dan, what what are you talking about? uh, What do you mean by we're becoming a a holy temple? Um, That sounds a little weird, and uh, I want you to bear with me this morning. See, in the Old Testament, in the time before Christ, Scripture tells us that the presence of God dwelt in the temple. It dwelt in a physical location that people could look to, that people could go to, that they could visit, and they identified that God dwelt there. In order to access God, we needed to go to the temple. We needed to go to the priest that were in that temple. And there were restrictions as far as who had access to that temple, of who could go into the temple. There was different portions of the temple. Those that Jews could go in, God's people could go in, and there were parts that only um, the Gentiles could only go so far. They couldn't go into those parts where the Jews could go. Non-Jews had limited access. And what our, our passage this morning is telling us is that we are now the temple. We have direct access to God, and His Spirit dwells in us. Not in a building, not in a physical structure built by human hands, that God's presence dwells in us. We are members of the household of God, we're members of family, and His Spirit dwells within us. And we're called to invite others into that. See, God is on mission, a mission to restore creation and to restore relationship with humankind. And we might dwell on our reconciliation with God and how God has reconciled us to him. Um, And that's good. We should. That's the foundation 
for peace. That's the foundation for being free from sin. That's the foundation for our forgiveness. We should also think about this, that Christ also died to take away our anger, to take away our jealousy, to take away our self-pity, our fear, our envy, hatred, and indifference away from your heart toward all others. Jesus died to take that away and to change us. This means others that are different from you and those that maybe aren't believers. Christ died for our sin. So I just wanted to share a quick story with you um, as I was thinking through this. Uh, see, in the house I grew up in, um, we had a family room in the, in the basement. And uh, in the family room, um, that's where our TV was. And we had one of the big, call them console TVs that, that sat on the floor and uh, weighed a ton. And uh, that's where our TV was, and the family could gather uh, there to watch TV. And I would literally sit about three feet away from the TV. And uh, so I would be, like, right in front of the TV. And some of you may have heard the same saying before, but um, I remember my dad, he would sit in the, the big comfy chair at the back of the room, would say, Daniel, you make a, a better door than you do a window. And basically telling me I needed to move, I needed to, I was blocking his view of the TV. And so I prevented others from being able to, to enjoy that. Um, I knew where, where my place was, I knew where I could see, and what I thought was the best view, and I would go there and forget about everyone else that, that was around me. Um, I was more concerned with my being able to see the TV than I was with, with others. And I learned that I needed to, to sit to the side, or I needed to lay down, um, so that others could, others could see. That uh, I could still enjoy the TV without being a door um, to others. So where am I going with this? Um, what I want you to think about is, are you being a door or a window in regards to Christ, in regards to the family of God? Are you enjoying the benefits of that? Are you enjoying the benefits of being part of the body without pointing others to Christ, without pointing others to him? Are you expecting others to repent of their sin before you're willing to be kind to them? Or do you show them first kindness and pray that they'll know Christ? Pray that they will know him? Or do you try to fix other sins? Or do you walk with them in it? Do you help them to carry that burden? See, Christ was willing to die to make us insiders. Christ was willing to die to bring us into relationship with God, to be part of his family. He tore down the wall that separated us. And let's not rebuild it. Let's not put it back up. So practically speaking, how, how do we do this? 
What does this look like? How do we foster unity? First, I want to encourage you this morning, if there's someone that maybe you haven't seen before, you haven't talked with before, go talk to them. Go say hi. Get to know them. Introduce yourself. Maybe invite them to lunch even. Talk to people. Get to know people that you don't know. Next, I want to encourage us as a church to listen well. Um, I don't know that I always do this well. But we need to be able to listen to people when they share maybe their sin that they're struggling with, maybe their grief, maybe their frustrations. As they share those with us, we can be tempted to try to fix it, to try to give them an answer, and to say how they can get over it. That's not, oftentimes, not helpful. As a church, we need to learn how to listen well, how to be, how to show empathy and compassion for others. Jesus showed compassion. We saw that one story in the Gospels is that Lazarus, a man had passed away, and the family was grieving over that. And they were crying, and when Jesus arrived, we know that Jesus cried with them. Jesus showed compassion, and we need to imitate him. We need to do the same. Um, so there's a quote in your, in your bulletin this morning um, that I wanted to, to read. The quote's from Henry Nguyen. It says, When we honestly ask ourselves which persons in our lives mean the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving much advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a gentle and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not caring, not healing, and face us with the reality of our powerlessness. That is the friend who cares. We can imitate Christ by listening well by showing compassion, by showing love, and walking through life with one another, knowing that there are going to be things that are just hard, that are in our sin and in our brokenness and the brokenness of creation, we're going to face things that are hard and we're not going to have quick answers to. But we can point each other towards Christ. We can imitate Christ in showing compassion and people can know Christ through us can know God's grace through us. So let us listen well. Next, another way that we can foster unity um, is to sacrifice. There's rarely peace without self-sacrifice, without selflessness. Um, so we need to learn to sacrifice for others and to lay down our own lives, our own desires, our own preferences, 
um, just like Jesus laid down his. So we have, um, as was mentioned in the announcements earlier, we have Affordable Christmas that's coming up. And we have an opportunity to serve others in our community. We have an opportunity to give of our time, and we have an opportunity to give of our resources. And we can sacrifice for others and so imitate Christ. Another way that we can sacrifice is to forgo our personal preferences. And I know sometimes that this can be hard, maybe if it's a music style that you don't like, maybe it's, a, it's the way that um, community group is led, maybe it's the way that we do worship here this morning. Um, there's room for us to be able to sacrifice and forgo the way that we just like to do things. I'm not talking about if there's biblical and scriptural disagreements. Uh, we want to work through that, and we want to talk about that with each other. But there are times where there's just things that we like the way that we do things. And sometimes we need to sacrifice that um, for the sake of others. We need to sacrifice for the sake of the body and for unity. So this morning, um, as we wrap up, um, let's just be reminded of what it is that Christ has done for us. Let's be reminded that he died for us, that he died to reconcile us to God and to reconcile us to others. And so as we respond, um, in a few moments, the ushers will be around uh, to collect our offering. Um, this is a chance for us to respond in worship and sacrifice of our resources as an act of worship, as an act of gratitude. And I just want to encourage you that um, if you're visiting with us this morning, don't feel like you have to have to give. We don't want we don't want your money. This is um, the service is a gift for you, and we want you to be able to enjoy that this morning. Um, what we would like is. There's a response card in your bulletin. We'd like for you just to let us know that you are here. Um, if you would like for us to pray with you, we'd be happy to do that. The leadership team takes those response cards and prays with them uh, every week. And so you can just write down a prayer request there and drop that in the basket when it comes around. There are also some respond boxes um, by the door and by the connection point. And if you don't get time to drop that response card in the offering basket, you can drop that in those in those boxes uh, that we have. Um, so let me pray for us, and uh, then we'll move into our time of response. Father, this morning I just want to thank you for what you've done for us. I want to thank you that, God, while we were still sinners, um, you died for us, that you showed us love, you showed us grace. So God, I thank you for that. Lord, I ask that you'll just help us this morning. God, if we have erected barriers in our, in our own life, barriers towards others, barriers of pride, of selfishness, of personal preference, may we be convicted of that, God. May your kindness lead us to repentance this morning. May we pray for others, Lord, remembering the sacrifice that you made for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Please take a moment as we display some response, reflection questions, uh, to pray through those, read those.